Well, we finish out today the uh, message series, uh, although kind of finish out. Uh, you know, we've been going over the last words that Jesus uh, spoke from the cross. And uh, so this is the last Sunday that we'll be talking about one of those words. Uh, and, of course, it's about today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, but you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. There were seven uh, last words from the cross, and we've only covered uh, five. So what's up with the other two? Don't worry. We got it covered. Because on Monday, Thursday, uh, if you come on Monday, Thursday, which of course you will because you want to hear about one of the words from the cross, which would be the third word from the cross. So we'll cover that on Monday, Thursday. And then, of course, Good Friday, uh, we'll hear that final word from the cross. So we'll get them all seven covered. But uh, this is the last time we're going to deal with it on Sunday. So this morning, we look at uh, You'll Be With Me Today, You'll Be With Me in, uh, in paradise. And to really understand, uh, not just then, but understand for us today, uh, the power of this uh, second word uh, from the cross, you really need to kind of try to transport yourself uh, back to the moment and the experience that is going on. So it's kind of one of those, you know, not beam me up, Scotty, but beam me there moments, right? We need to kind of get ourselves there to really understand uh, the power of that, not just in the moment, but for this moment, for for today. So remember what's going on. If you go to Luke uh, 23, uh, it says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus, right? Now, it's important uh, that you note that, right? So right from the beginning, we understand what's going on and who Jesus is with. And so just underline, if you got your half sheet and you're following through with me, just underline that with him, will you? Just circle it, underline it, whatever. Remember that because we're going to get to that by the time we get to the end, right? It's an important thing, right? So what's happening? What we know up front is that Jesus is being taken now and he's being executed, but not just him. Who else is being executed? A couple criminals, right? A couple criminals, good crowd. And it says they came to the place called the skull. They nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified. One is right one at his left, right? So Jesus is now being crucified, but not just him. He's being crucified in the midst of uh, these two uh, criminals. And the whole experience begins to unfold. And in this experience, we see really the incredible uh, ugliness that humanity has, right? The capacity we have. And so it says, the crowd watched... And the leaders scoffed. So the leaders, the church leaders, the churchy people, what are they doing? Scoffing, right? So they're scoffing at him. He's hanging up on their cross. Remember, this is the first three hours of the six hours of of execution. This is the first three hours. It's the second word that he speaks. And so what's going on? He's been nailed up there. He's been hanging there for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever. And during this whole time, the religious leaders, who should know better, they're out there scoffing at him. Other people pile on. They're scoffing. It says, he saved others. They said, let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. So then they're scoffing. 36, the soldiers mocked him too by offering me a drink of sour wine. So the religious leaders are scoffing. The soldiers are mocking, right? They're piling on, piling on, right? So we got church and government piling on. And then 37, they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, Save yourself. This is getting kind of ugly, right? Have you watched on TV some of the scenes of protests that have happened in our nation? 
and you kind of watch them and people are milling about and they're shouting and they're cursing and they're right. I mean, this, this is what's going on. This is turning into an ugly situation. And Jesus is in the middle of it, right there in the middle of all the ugliness, in the middle of all the scoffing, mocking, and everything that's going on, all the vulgarity that's taking place. It gets worse. Not only are those around him scoffing at him or mocking him, but it says one of the criminals hanging beside him, he begins to pile on. He starts scoffing him down, saying, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it, right? So he's just like, look, piling on, piling on, piling on. But they're all piling on the same thing, right? They're all mocking him. They're all scoffing at him. They're all challenging him. They're all saying, listen, if you really are the Son of God, then prove it. If you really are who you say you were, if you really are, then come down off the cross and prove it. Can you imagine in that moment listening to that? For an hour, for an hour and a half, nothing but scoffing and mocking, nothing but abuse and brutality like this, nothing but being beaten on with these kinds of words. Can you imagine the temptation Jesus has in that moment? Can you imagine? After putting up with that over and over and over and over again, what he wants to do in that moment. How about you? But if I'm him, I'm like... Yeah, baby, I'm coming down. Stick that one somewhere where it don't shine. Right? I mean, wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to just say, yeah, enough. All right, I'll prove it to you. I'll show you who the boss in town is. Come on, let's take it on. Wouldn't you want to do that? He is in this extreme moment. Extreme temptation. And here's the amazing thing. In the middle of all the ugliness, in the middle of all that temptation, there is another voice, and it's not Jesus's. It is the voice of another criminal. Another criminal. And another criminal speaks a word. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God, even when you've been sentenced to die? That is amazing. This other criminal speaks out, and it's like he's saying, listen, Jesus, stay there. It's worth it. This other criminal speaks out. And and notice his motivation. Notice his motivation. He speaks out, and he says what? Don't you fear God. He's asking a question of the other criminal. He's asking a question of everybody else that's been roaming around, mocking, scoffing, right? And the truth be known, he's asking a question of each one of us today. The same question. Don't you fear God? I mean, don't, do you have a healthy awe and respect for the incredible nature and power of God? That is a great word. I mean, we, we, love, we love the, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. And, you know, after all, God is love, all true, all fantastic. We'll see that in a minute. But that's got to be balanced, doesn't it, with this word? This word that reminds us that, that when it's all said and done, 
it's important for us to understand and have a healthy awe and respect, a holy awe and respect for the very power and nature of God. That positive fear, that positive fear, when we maintain it, when we hold on to it, that positive fear can help us understand God's passionate favor for our lives. Proverbs. Proverbs 1 gives us a kernel of wisdom and knowledge. That's the book, right? The wisdom book. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Where does it start? Fear of the Lord, right? You see, we ought to have this, this awesome reality of understanding the power and the nature of how incredible God is. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. It's not just Proverbs that tells us this. Jesus himself in uh, Luke 12, speaking to his followers, those who would follow him, he demands this of us, right? Look what he says in Luke 12. Dear friends, now notice he's saying dear friends. He's not talking to the, to the religious enemies here. He's talking dear friends, friends, dear friends. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Think he's serious? I think he is, isn't he? That, that, that we, we can't get lost in, in all the stuff of this world and, and forget the awesome power and nature of God. You see, it's one of the struggles in this world, isn't it? It's one of the difficulties in this world. It's the challenge that Jesus is facing in that moment. Is he going to listen more to the scoffers? Is he going to listen more to the mockers than he is to what God wants to accomplish in his life and experience? And that's the question. Are you listening more and worrying more about what people say? than what the Word of God has to say over your life? Are are you listening more and worried more and more fearful about what people might think than whether your life is headed in the direction and the purpose that God would choose for it? What do you fear? Are you afraid more of the scoffers and the mockers that you work with that you hang out with than you are about being faithful and standing up for Jesus Christ. Do you fear? Do you fear? Now, what's interesting is right after Jesus says this in Luke 12 about how we're supposed to have that healthy fear of the Lord, that holy fear of the Lord, here's what he follows it up with. This is amazing. Fear God, right? And then right after that, in verse 6 and 7, he says, What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So what? Don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. See how it comes together? 
Who are you going to be afraid of? He's saying, listen, fear of the Lord, holy, awesome fear of the Lord comes with God's favor. Isn't it interesting at the cross? So far, who have we talked about? We've talked about religious leaders mocking him. We've talked about the soldiers, the government also scoffing and mocking him. We talked about a criminal at his one side scoffing and mocking him. We've only heard one voice in the whole experience so far stand up for him. Another criminal being crucified right next to him. Only one voice. You know what my question is? So where are the disciples? Where are the guys that hung out with him for two years, three years? Where where are those guys that were there when he turned water into wine? Where are the guys when he took the bread and fed 5,000, 10,000 and more? Where are the guys when he saw him raise a girl from the dead? Where are those guys? You know where they are. They are captured in fear. But the wrong fear. They're captured by the wrong fear. The one guy that speaks out is the criminal who's had absolutely everything stripped away from him. His view is so clear because everything else has been stripped out of his life. And in the ugliness and in the mocking and in the scoffing, he is the one voice that says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Luke 23, he says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, Jesus, he hasn't done anything wrong. He sees it really clear, doesn't he? He is able to look in the mirror and he's able to understand what's happening to him. He's got it coming. What's happening to him, he earned it. He deserves it. But somewhere along the way, he came to an awareness and an understanding that Jesus, the person next to him, he doesn't deserve that. How'd that happen? It's an amazing thing. We don't know anything else about this criminal, right? We don't know anything else. We don't know if he listened to Jesus someday in the temple. We don't know if he was along the roadside on Palm Sunday. I mean, we don't know anything other than, by his own admission, he is guilty. And he's being crucified for it. That's all we know. And yet somewhere in the experience of those moments on the cross, when everything else has been stripped out of his life, he has the awareness of the value of Jesus. Now, how could he come to that awareness? Remember what we talked about with the first word, right? The first word. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Remember, it's the first word that Jesus utters as he goes up. And so he's been hanging on their cross. The criminal's been hanging next to him. Time has been passing and time has been passing. And what has Jesus been doing this whole time? Remember, he has been saying and muttering over and over and over again, what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the criminal has heard it. And somewhere in the midst of that ugliness, with everything stripped away, the criminal is willing to look in the mirror and say, he doesn't deserve it. Now, you've got to remember that 
crucifixions were not G-rated experiences, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they were definitely R-rated experiences at best, right? For violence, nudity, and language. <laughs> and Jesus isn't saying the usual language. And the criminal in his emptiness, with everything stripped away, he's able to see clearly. Remember what it looked like. Jesus was right there, in the middle of who? Two criminals, sinners. But that's where he's always been. Shouldn't surprise us, right? Shouldn't surprise us. That's what he does. That's who he hung out with. You look at Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, This man, this guy, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, can you see clearly when you look in the mirror? Can you face clearly and let everything else get stripped away for a minute and see your own brokenness? Can you be like that criminal for just a moment to understand our only hope is hanging right there? I mean, this, this is the amazing thing. Try to ha- wrap your head around this one. You ready? Try to wrap your head around this. The awesome, powerful nature of God that we ought to respect and fear is hanging right there, allowing itself to be crucified. And in that very moment, we see not only the awesome power of God, but the awesome love of God. It's amazing. You know what that means, right? That if you're like this criminal and you you look in the mirror and, and you get honest and let everything else get stripped away, it means there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing in your life that Jesus hasn't already forgiven. There's nothing that you've done or will do or can do that is beyond the scope of the power of this moment. And even a criminal could see it. And it led him to do one thing. It led the criminal to just do one thing. With everything stripped away in the middle of the ugliness, out of his emptiness, the criminal just reaches for one hope. Jesus, just remember me. Just have a small fleeting memory of me. Just think of me just a little bit. Just once let my name pass your head. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was willing to trust in the kingdom more than anything else. He was willing to let go of everything else and just trust that Jesus really is who he says he is, that the sign over his head was absolutely true. And then we get his word. We get Jesus' reply. Amazing. Out of his agony, out of the ugliness and the mocking and the scoffing and everything that's going on, when everything inside of him is saying, sure would like to come down and show these guys what's what. He says... I assure you, 
Stop there. If you look in the Greek where it says Jesus replied, that word in the Greek is the word that most often is translated amen. Give me an amen. Thanks. It's an easy word, isn't it? But that is an awesome word. You see, when you say that amen, you say yes, yes, let it be so, yes, let it be so. It's like Jesus is saying yes, yes, thanks for the reminder. I'm doing what God wants me to do with my life. Yes, you can be assured. It's like he gives you a double assurance. Yes, amen. He gives his seal on it. It's spoken. It's done. It's in the bank. It's absolutely assured. You don't have to question it. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to wonder about it. Amen. It's done. It's a deal. It's, it's, amen. I assure you, and then he says it, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, so often when we hear this, we hear that last word and go, yeah, that's really cool. Paradise. All for paradise? Absolutely. Paradise is a good thing. That word paradise, when they described it, when they did it, it described the experience of walking in the garden. It would be like a a walled garden. And so like if you were a king and you wanted to reward one one of your subjects and give them a really cool experience, you'd invite him to the palace and you'd say, hey, let's go take a walk in the garden. And that was like elevating them incredibly because the gardens were lush and they were green and they were prosperous and they were fruitful and they were peaceful. They were everything that was good in the midst of the brokenness and the ugliness of the world. Grab that. What is Jesus saying? You bet I'm going to remember you. Right now. It's not just the last word, paradise. It's also the first word. What's the first word? Today. Today. Today, 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 today. Not way out here, but when? Today. Not tomorrow, not next year, not whenever, but today. Today, 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 right now, right here, right here. I'm going to remember you right now. This is incredible. So often we think somehow we have to wait for paradise. When Jesus offers the criminal and anybody else out of their brokenness, out of the ugliness, out of the emptiness, out of whatever is going on in your life right now, when you strip it all away, Jesus says today, right now, I'm going to be right in the middle of it. Remember the picture. Where was he? On the cross, right in the middle of two criminals, right in the middle of all the scoffing, right in the middle of all the mocking, right in the middle of all the hatred, right in the middle of all the ugliness, right in the middle of all the sin, right in the middle of all the guilt, right in the middle of all the shame. He's right there. And he says, today, today, right now, today, I am ready to be right there with you. Today, you'll be with me. And whenever you're with Jesus... That's paradise. Whenever you're with Jesus, that's paradise. See, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for some day. If you can be like that criminal and for a moment grab the respect and the awe of the nature of the power of God displayed in the incredible experience of allowing himself to be humbled even under the cross 
and giving his life away so that you can be honest and look in the mirror and say, I have no hope but the kingdom. I have no hope but Jesus. Today, now, your life can completely change. Paul gets it. Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. When? Today. Today, today, today. Or you go to Galatians. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. The world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts, what really counts, is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Today. Today. The criminal is the example for us of today. Remember I told you, put that with them on the shelf, take it off the shelf. Take it off the shelf because it bookends the experience. It starts out with the acknowledgement that Jesus is being crucified with criminals. He's being crucified with broken. He's being crucified among the ugliest. He's being crucified with them. And at the end, he makes a promise. And the promise is when you trust in the kingdom, he will be where? With you. He is not afraid of anything in your life. He is not afraid of anything in your life. And he is waiting for each one of us to just be honest, to strip away all the stuff and just be honest and to reach for him as our hope. Because he wants paradise. He wants the paradise that we can experience when today we come up to this table and Jesus whispers in our ears, criminal, guilty one, here I am today for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, so that today, right now, your life begins different. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It is an awesome thing. We can't, it's so hard to understand it. It's so hard to, to get the fullness of what it means. To know that the awesome, powerful nature of God was willing to be humbled and be executed on a cross and to enter into the ugliness and the scoffing and the mocking, enter into the brokenness and the guilt and is still willing to do it. Still willing to do it today, right now. And so we come to you like that criminal. We're, we're just as broken and we're just as guilty. And we ask you, Remember us. Remember us. Speak to us. Give us that assurance.
that we can trust you and let everything else get stripped away. And when we trust you, our life starts over. It's new. And in that life, from this day forward, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear anything but disappointing you. Give us such a conviction that we can say and hear the whisper of your voice, amen. Amen. Today, our life is new. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.